Hello. Welcome to The Legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 14. Alan and Lucy. The residents of Robber's Glade were filled with hope. Word had reached them that their beloved king, Richard the Lionheart, was free. It was all just rumour. Nothing had actually been seen or heard of him in fair England for a long time, but whisperings from France had brought good tidings. Apparently, King Richard was free. Apparently, soon he would be back in his kingdom ready to reclaim his lands from his treacherous brother. Prince John skulked in his castle, afraid of the day the king finally arrived. A very fine lunch was being had at the outlaw's home. As the venison pasties were chomped down and the ale flowed, a very unusual thing happened. Someone entered the glade. Someone who wasn't one of the merry men. Robin Hood was startled at first until he realised there was one person who knew the location of their lair. If this was who had arrived, then there was nothing to fear for the outlaws, but the person himself must be in trouble. This person was owed a couple of favours by Robin Hood. Robin walked towards the stranger with some trepidation. When he recognised the newcomer, though, he relaxed. Alan Adale, I assume the time has come, he said. Alan nodded. There were tears in his eyes, and it took him a few moments to compose himself enough to speak. Yes, he said quietly. For many a year I've been sending secret messages to my Lucy. Her maid Matilda is kind enough to pass them on. For a long time she's been resisting her father's wish that she marry Sir Ralph of Warsop. But a tragic thing has happened. Count de Passy discovered one of my letters. Matilda tried to tell him she had written it, but it was obvious this wasn't true. He told her that his patience was at an end. She must marry Sir Ralph in a week. I promised you I'd help when this day came, replied Robin. With that, the King of Sherwood blew on his bugle. Soon the merry men had gathered around. Friends, proclaimed Robin, Count de Passy is forcing his daughter to marry Sir Ralph of Warsop. The wedding is taking place in Meadendale in a week. We are going to stop it. There was a loud cheer, fuelled by a sense of doing the right thing and a lot of wine and ale. There's bound to be a huge number of guests at this wedding, mused Will Scarlet. I think we should disguise ourselves as friends of the bride or groom. We'll need a fair few men to have any chance of snatching the bride. Alan Dale perked up. Better than that, he replied. There will be twenty choristers sent from Tyndale Abbey. If we can stop them getting to the wedding, then we have twenty ready-made disguises. Will Scarlet grinned from ear to ear. Yes, 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 he shouted excitedly while jumping up and down. They'll have to go through the edges of Sherwood in order to get to Meadendale from Tyndale. They'll think they're safe, as they won't be carrying any jewels or cash. Will lowered his head a bit in mock deference. And so they should be, of course, as we only rob the rich and corrupt. Then he lifted his head and beamed with glee. But this, my friends, is a special case. Unfortunately, there was no chance to warn Lucy of the plan. Alan was distraught that his Lucy would think he had abandoned her and begged Robin to find a way to give a message to her. Will, though, persuaded him that it was of the utmost importance to preserve the absolute secrecy of the plan. Will, as we know, had the gift of the gab and soon convinced the uncertain Alan that if Lucy knew of the plan then she may give something away in her demeanour. If she was genuinely distraught then there would be no worry for Count Robert and he may let his guard down just enough to make the plan a success. At the Castle de Passy, a very unhappy young woman gazed out of her high window over the plain. Every day, ten or twelve times, she peered into the distance, hoping and praying that her Alan had raised an army to save her. 
Every day, ten or twelve times, her hope faded just a little, until, by the end of the week, she was a pale shell of her formerly vibrant self. Every day, the Count de Passy visited his daughter, and reminded her she was to marry the fine knight Sir Ralph of Warsop, and she better get used to it. With just two days to go, Lucy dispatched the faithful Matilda to see if she could find Alan. Matilda returned without any news. Lucy's despair grew. Two days later, two of her mother's maids arrived. They dressed the poor girl in a gorgeous long wedding robe. She looked very fine, but she felt wretched. She allowed herself to be adorned with jewels and other finery, and was led from the castle to the chapel at Meadendale. When she entered the holy place, clinging to her father's arm, she saw a rich array of guests, including Sir Isambard de Balaam and Sir Guy of Gisborne. She noticed that present among the guests were a lot of soldiers. Count Robert was taking no chances. Lucy de Passy reached the altar, where she saw the priests who were to conduct the ceremony, and behind them some white-robed choristers, and then she fainted, dead away. Earlier that day, Alan Dale, Robin Hood, Will Scarlet, Friar Tuck, Little John and Much the Miller's son set out from Robber's Glade accompanied by fifteen others from the band. They hid themselves among the trees by the side of the main road through Sherwood and waited. They didn't have to wait for long. After half an hour or so, they heard some delightful holy tunes. The sound of the hymn was soon followed by twenty young men in white robes of choristers accompanied by an old man playing the harp. Robin, Alan and the rest watched as they entered the narrowest part of the track before Robin gave the signal. Silently, eighteen men in Lincoln green, one dressed in bold red and one attired in the habit of a monk, leapt upon the youths and silenced them, each with a careful hand placed over the mouth. Now, said Robin, if you behave and don't make a sound, you'll have your robes back in a couple of hours. The outlaws each took the white robes of their marked chorister, and slipped them on over their own clothes. None of them spoke. Eventually the ancient harpist had the courage to implore Robin not to hurt them. Have mercy on us. We have no gold. We're on our way to Meadendale to sing at the wedding of the lovely Lucy de Passy. Don't you worry, replied Alan, regaining his humour now he knew the hour was near. We will make fine music at the wedding for you. Come on, men, sing out. We must be as tuneful as these good people who were meant to sing at the ceremony. The outlaws did their best. Unfortunately, they sounded more like a score of distressed cats than purveyors of holy anthems. With the exceptions of Alan, Will and Friar Tuck, all of whom could hold a tune, the men of Sherwood were highly untalented in the singing department. After a while, Will Scarlet, who had collapsed into fits of giggles at the awful sound, had to command them to stop. Amid a great deal of mirth from all, the noise abated. Alan told them they had to have some form of authenticity, so he told the friar and the man dressed in red to carry on singing. He joined in with them, and by the time they reached the chapel, the three decent singers were doing a passable impression of twenty. When they reached the church, Friar Tuck was given the task of talking to the sentries and explaining who they were. Given that he spoke the holy lingo and that a bunch of choristers were expected, there wasn't much difficulty in getting in. They took their places behind the priest. A few minutes later, they watched the beautiful, pale, sad bride on the arm of her father walk into the chapel and slowly approach the altar. Then they watched the bride faint. Alan Dale had prayed that his Lucy might have an inkling he would be there to rescue her. When she fell to the floor, it was obvious to him that she hadn't. He could take it no longer. 
The wedding guests were aghast when one of the white-robed choristers leapt from his post and jumped down in front of the altar. Count Roger de Passy was aghast when the supposed singer drew a sword, brandished it at anyone who came near him, and then swept the fallen bride into his arms. Ralph of Warsop was aghast when he recognised the bride thief as one Alan Adale. He was about to shout out when all of the other choristers also reached within their robes and drew blades. A few of the soldiers drew their own weapons and tried to grab Lucy from Alan's grasp, but the other 19 armed choristers were too much for them. Before anyone really had time to assess the situation, the outlaws were out of the chapel and running for safety. Robin Hood! shouted Sir Ralph. Get him! This spurred some of the soldiers and guests into action. They bolted out of the chapel and ran to their mounts tied up waiting for them. Except, of course, they weren't. Robin Hood and his 19 men had taken a horse each, Alan taking Lucy with him on his. The other horses had been turned loose. Not a single one remained for the wedding party to use to chase the marriage interrupters. Finding some old palfreys that hadn't run too far, Sir Ralph and some of his armed men mounted and rode, not too quickly, to Sherwood. When they reached the edge of the forest, they spotted men dressed in white robes. Aha! yelled Sir Ralph. Now we have them! He jumped from his tired old horse and ran to capture his prey. When he got there, of course, he was most disappointed. It was perfectly clear that these were not the merry men of Sherwood Forest, but a bunch of choristers from Tyndale who had meant to be singing at his marriage to Lucy de Passy. Realising they had been well and truly duped, Sir Ralph of Warsop and his men trudged back to the chapel, where they told some very confused wedding guests what had happened. Sir Isambard de Balaam and Sir Guy of Gisborne swore they'd have their revenge on Robin Hood, once and for all. Back in Robber's Glade, the outlaws were beside themselves with joy. They'd successfully carried out an audacious rescue, they'd repaid Robin's debt to Alan Adale, and they'd rescued a maiden in distress. This, they thought, was what true outlawing was all about. As the merriment began to get into full swing, Lucy de Passy woke up. The first thing she saw were the soft eyes of her beloved. Alan? Yes, my love, it's me. You didn't think I'd let your father marry you to Sir Ralph against your will, did you? You must have known I'd come for you. Lucy tried to speak, but all she could do was open her mouth. No words came out. Out of her eyes, though, came a bucket full of tears. Robin Hood shouted, Tuck, Brother Michael, you fat old ale barrel, come here. I want you to declare the bands between my friend Alan Adale and the lovely Lucy. Friar Tuck strode forward. He shot Robin a look of daggers in retribution for the ale barrel comment, and then called the bands three times. OK, said Robin, revelling in the theatre of the moment. All is in order. Now you may perform the ceremony. Friar Tuck, never one to shirk theatrical moments himself, raised his voice and in his most priestly way began the service. Who giveth this maid? he boomed. I, Robin of Loxley, Robin Hood of Sherwood Forest, came the reply, and any man who stands in the way of this marriage has me to deal with. Clearly, there was nobody present who had any intention of getting in the way, and Robin's words were met with raucous cheers. Lucy de Passy, finally fully awake, cheered more loudly than anybody else. And so, Alan Adale and Lucy de Passy were married there in Sherwood Forest, with the outlaws as their witnesses. Sherwood now had another female resident. Maid Marion and Betris made her welcome, and Alan Adale joined Robin's band. 
Sir Ralph of Warsop was totally humiliated. He returned to his castle and began to drink. A few weeks later, he was found dead. Whether this was due to the overconsumption of mead, wine and ale, or simply due to intense vexation, is not known. Forensic medicine was not even in its infancy in 12th century England. Either way, dead he was, and the Norman aristocracy of Nottinghamshire had yet another reason to want rid of Robin Hood. Robin and his men couldn't have cared less. Yet again, the Saxons had got one over on their Norman masters. Meanwhile, across the fields of France rode a Norman who was very much more well thought of by his Saxon subjects. It was true. King Richard was free. Surely it was only a matter of time before he returned to England and reclaimed his throne. Next time, though, treachery is afoot. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please go to www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com. If you'd like to give any feedback or just ask some questions, then please contact me on email mythandhistory at gmail.com or friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. Also, this podcast is a member of the History Podcasters Network. Please go to www.historypodcasters.com where you will see a directory of some other excellent podcasts and a few features such as the History Collage. It really is well worth a visit. So, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.